0: No, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Throws across his body, and he got it! Looking away for Kent around third, throw from the outfield, is up the line, inside the park home run! He gone, whoa! and he makes a catch up against the wall and he's gonna watch it fly. Strike three called, he got him on strikes. Welcome to the Voice of the Turtle, a podcast feature of the Bless You Boys website, SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. You can find us on the web at www.blessyouboys.com. Find us on Twitter at Bless You Boys and also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Tigers. I'm your host, Hook Slide, along with my co-host, Rob Rojacki, and Rob, hopefully you are having a much better day than Brad Osmus has had.
1: Oh yeah, I guess I'm doing a little bit better than he is, but I will say that uh, after sitting in D.C. traffic for a little while, uh, the first stop I made on the way
0: home was to my fridge for beer. (laughs) I'm I'm sure that if uh, Brad didn't have a game to manage tonight, he would be doing somewhat the same thing. He might be
1: doing that anyway.
0: (laughs) That's right. We've, we've wondered for a while now what, what might be going on in his head and some of the things that have happened with the, you know, things in the dugout in terms of missing certain things happening on the field and what happened to Cespedes and what happened to Price. That that would explain it, right? Maybe he just went to the fridge for beer. Oh, I'm not even accusing him of that. I think he's just had a really bad day and might need
1: to down one or two back before this game starts.
0: Okay. Well, I, I'll accuse him of that. I'll be the bad guy then. <laughs> Good. Yeah. All right. Let's Let's uh, let's preheat this oven to 375 and get this episode cooking, our sixth episode of The Voice of the Turtle. We're going to talk about the renaissance of Anthony Ghosts and who to root for in October. We'll discuss the MVP debate and this recent debacle with Brad Osmus. Of course, we'll take some listener questions as well. But first, it's time for rounding the bases and what is up with J.D. Martinez. That and more after the break. 10-pound right, he delivers as a fly ball left field. This one's deep. This one's got a chance, and this ball is gone a home run. Ian Kinsler delivers the walk-off. Number six for Ian. He rounds third. Heads into the mob seat at home. And the Tigers take the series from AC. A walk-off home run from Kinsler, 8-6. All right, we are into our rounding the bases segment. We're going to ask this question, who stole JD's bat? But before we get to that, Rob, the Tigers are uh they're still bad.
1: Well, I keep looking at the record every time I, you know, I write a game preview and I just I think about, you know, maybe they can win a few games in a row to make this look slightly less awful. Uh and it it just doesn't happen. Uh they, you know, they went Ah, uh, four and five. They're four and five in September so far. Um, things have not been going well during this last week. Ever since we recorded last, um, you know, we actually won a series, which was nice, but uh, couldn't quite pull up the pull off the sweep against the Rays.
0: Yeah, I, I was just looking at the numbers, uh, and I put out on Twitter the fact that before the season started, I projected them, predicted that they would win eighty six games this year, and I just realized that in order to do that. Uh, they would have to win the next 22 in a row and go 22 and 0 just just to get to the 86 win mark. So I, I'm feeling pretty good about that prediction right now, honestly. Well, how many drinks have you had? Uh, well, you know, somewhere between 22 and 0. <laughs> so the
1: other question is, uh, can Justin Verlander start every one of those games?
0: Well, yeah, I, I, I don't know. There's there's some debate going on right now in terms of what, what do they call innings limits, you know, and Matt Harvey and all that so But you know, the Tigers aren't going to the playoffs, so why not let let Justin go out there and make up for the couple months that he missed, right?
1: Oh, well, if he can throw left handed too, I think we'll be good. You know, that'd be that'd be a good idea too. I mean, our left handers out of the bullpen are pretty bad, so I don't think. <laughs> Berlander
0: would be able to do much worse. There was a picture on Twitter not too long ago, last week, maybe a week before that, 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 that Bruce Rondon was out there playing catch before a game left-handed. So I'm not saying it's that; that it's a possibility that can't be ruled out. So, How is his command? Uh, you know, maybe you can't tell the difference between the left-handed command and the right-handed command. I don't, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> let's, not, let's not rule it out. I mean, at this point, we're just... It's all about having fun. Let him let him we, throw left handed. We are off the rails already. Yes, we are. But here's the point, because not only are the tigers bad, it's not any fun. It's stopped being fun. And we've tried podcast after podcast to find ways to help the listeners and say here's how you can still kind of enjoy this season. So here's here's my sketch of the season in six short acts, okay? It went from at the beginning of the season Woohoo. Fifth straight division title. Oh, it's not going to happen. Okay, but wild card. We're in last place and now we're selling everything. But Dombrowski will fix it in 2016. Oh, he got fired. Well, (laughs) we can watch the new prospects. Norris got hurt. Okay. Well, at least there's the web gems that we can watch from Jose Iglesias. Ah, He's out now too. Okay, well... Miguel Cabrera and the batting title, right? Right? Oh, he's like 5 for 26. And he has, let's see here, I looked this up, a 231 slugging average in his last 30 plate appearances. So this just isn't even fun anymore. Well, the good news about Cabrera is that he still has a mile-long lead for the batting title.
1: Uh, He might need to go 0 in the next 22 games, all of which the Tigers will win, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, before (laughs) he is caught by anyone. Um, you know, he's still batting three forty nine with a four forty nine on base percentage. So it's looking like that's at least, you know, the one thing we can hang our hat on going down the stretch. But you're right. It's really not that, not that fun anymore, which, you know, is unfortunate. Um, the, the Tigers, you know, so far this month, they've given up double-digit runs twice. Uh, they've given up eight runs or more in two more games and seven runs or more in two more games. I mean, you've got, you know, three other games that have been reasonably close, as far as the pitching staff goes, and you know the question now as to whether they're going to win or not is basically whether or not the offense can outscore their pitching staff.
0: Yeah, it, we, we've been trying to keep it fun, but you know, speaking of these prospects, Norris got hurt and so forth. We got we, we're still getting to watch Matt Boyd at least do some pitching, and you know he's not been like super great, but he's been less ungreat, I guess is how you'd put that. I mean, that last outing, right? It, it looks bad on paper three runs in five innings pitched. But if you look at what actually happened in that outing, two of those runs were, were runners that he put on base that Al Albuquerque allowed to score. If if the bullpen was something other than just awfulness on dry toast, maybe he gets out of that inning, and maybe that line looks a little bit better for Boyd, and it's one run in, in five innings pitched.
1: Well, you also have to look at it as you know he's on his quote-unquote innings limit uh, he only threw seventy some pitches. I think it was seventy six pitches in that outing. Um, you know, in any other case, you know, he allows a couple base runners to start the sixth inning. He may be able to, you know, work through that himself. Um, you know, it's tough to say whether or not he would have been able to. I think the Indians were going through the lineup the third time there, uh, and Boyd's arsenal isn't that deep, so he may have, you know, started to get roughed up at at that point anyway. But it, you know, in in normal case, it, it would have been more of a Let's see if the kid can work, work through it himself and get out of this jam himself. Type thing, and that would have been nice to see him do that. But you know, at the same time, you don't want to expose him to too much injury
0: risk either. So you're kind of fighting, you know, trying to find whichever is the lesser of two evils at this point. Right now, I, I, I was just reading over your article that you would posted earlier this week uh, prior to the show I was looking that over uh, where you were kind of detailing uh, some issues that Boyd is having in terms of his release point especially with the fastball and he seems to be kind of all over the map and you, you pointed out that even his secondary pitches are coming out of uh, w- what Jim Price would say not the same keyhole every time and those are some issues that he needs to work on but I mean in general what you've seen from Matt Boyd is this does he have the makings of a guy that can actually become a major league starter uh, you know or is he going to be the the kind of guy that ends up getting shifted to the bullpen
1: i think he can be a back end starter um but i think that at the same time as tigers fans we've been a little bit spoiled with the term you know fifth starter over the last few years um you know in 2012 Our fifth starter was Drew Smiley for a while. In 2013, it was Rick Porcello. So we've had some pretty darn good ones, you know, guys that are going out and giving you 25, 30 starts. And usually that's not the case. You have a fifth starter that gives you maybe 15, 20 starts, and then a couple other guys that fill in along the way for whatever reason. Uh, I think Boyd could be that guy going forward. You know, he's left-handed, which always helps. Um, You know, he's got kind of a funky delivery, which, you know, if he repeats it a little bit better, I think he would be a little bit better as far as you know getting results uh the fastball command is really kind of the iffy thing with him and if he is able to kind of hone that in and spot the fastball better he's not going to have you know opposing hitters obviously hitting it all over the yard and i think that's going to help his change up which is probably his best pitch at this point that will help that play up as well and righties won't be able to kind of sit on that fastball as much
0: yeah, you know, watching him pitch, it reminds me a lot of uh, going to the Whitecaps games, you know, which I do frequently throughout the throughout the season. And uh, we'll talk more about the Whitecaps and the fact that they're actually in the playoffs this year, a little bit later in the podcast. But uh, one of the things that, that, that you have to do, I think, when you're watching uh, single A, double A, even triple A pitchers, which I think Boyd does kind of fit into that, that category, he's not quite there yet. One of the things you have to do is is pay less attention to the end result, say, and pay more attention to the process. Pay more attention to the mechanics, to things like the release point. Uh, if you're going to get kind of a good gauge of you know where this guy could could end up, it's it's hard right now. I think to look at Matt Boyd's statistics, it's still I think we're still in small sample size territory. I mean, wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, he's only thrown 42 innings at the major league level this year. And going back to your point about him kind of being a minor league pitcher, you know, he's still only 24 years old. He spent most of the year in the minor leagues in the Blue Jays system, so. You know, judging him on the same level as someone who's been around the majors for a few years, um, even a Shane Green type, and I know that's kind of a different story with his injury, um, you know, it's still a little bit tougher to gauge him on that point. He's got almost, you know, 115 innings in the minor leagues this year under his belt, as opposed to, you know, 40-odd innings at the major league levels. So, you know, you're still kind of seeing how he breaks into the majors.
0: Well, in terms of just watching the process, watching the stuff itself, I mean, aside from some of the command issues that you'd pointed out uh you know some of the delivery the arm slots that he's using, I think there's there's potential there, just just again watching pitch by pitch and trying to kind of ignore you know the, the final line results, five innings pitch, three hits, three and runs, that kind of thing I, I think there might be some potential. I'm not saying the guy's going to be you know your, your number one or number two guy, but no. serv- serviceable at least
1: yeah, and I think he will be that. Um, you know, I've really liked what I've seen out of his changeup so far. He's yeah. induced some awkward swings, some early swings with that pitch. Uh, and I noted, you know, it was, I think it was one of his starts against the Royals that I noted that he had made, you know, a solid adjustment where he was, you know, spotting the change ball and the curve, uh, the changeup and the curve ball for strikes. Uh, and you know, being able to do that, you know, maybe there, it's not the greatest pitch to you know hit first to hit for a strike and if a hitter is sitting on that they're going to jump all over it but if you're trying to get someone off the fastball and you can get that pitch in the zone consistently I think he's going to be successful.
0: And we talk about the fact that he's still a minor leaguer in a sense he's still young and always pitching at the major league level now but uh, just to kind of accentuate the fact that he is still sort of at that minor league level he was just named to Baseball America's minor league all-star team along with uh, our other prospect that we all kind of want to see but not yet Michael Fulmer.
1: Yep, Boyd was one of uh, two Tigers to make that list. Uh, And I saw somewhere that the Tigers were one of three organizations to have multiple players on Baseball America's list. Um, You know, you kind of got to throw an asterisk on that because neither Boyd nor Fulmer started the season in the Tigers system. But at the same time, you know, it is kind of nice to you know have some of these guys that are having success down in that minor league level.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to agree with the asterisk because whether they started the season as Tigers or not, Damn it, they're ours now. So it's nice to finally have something in the farm system that you can go, hey, see that? There's, there's multiple guys getting up to that all-star team. Hey, I'll take it. I will absolutely take it. Uh, we kind of teased this segment by, by saying we were going to talk about what happened to J.D. Martinez and who stole his bat. What is going on with J.D. Martinez in the month of September?
1: Well, it's still early, but he's batting under 200 in September. Uh, And he only has a pair of home runs, uh, I believe, since about mid-August when the Tigers had that, you know, awesome series in Chicago when they hit like 12,000 home runs or whatever it was. Um, But Martinez has gone a little bit cold here. Uh, He hit a home run the other night against, I believe it was, Cleveland. Yeah, he hit it off Danny Salazar last weekend. Um, But it's, you know, just kind of a little cold stretch, and I think he's been prone to these so far. He had one earlier this season that really kind of had people a little bit worried there. Um, but, you know, it's you know just looking a little bit hairy right now. And really the only reason I'm worried about him is that I will really want to see him get to
0: that 40-home run mark. Exactly. This is, I, I mean, he's not Miguel Cabrera, but I think he's sort of, how do I want to say this? He's, he's getting into this territory where, like with Cabrera, you give him the benefit of the doubt at this point and say, yeah, he's going through a cold streak, but that's what professional baseball players do sometimes. I think we've got to be... Uh, willing to accept the fact that we are past the point with J.D. Martinez. At least I'm past the point of worrying whether he's the real deal. Oh, absolutely. I think he's going to be totally fine. Um,
1: Looking at the numbers now, it has been a whopping 13 games, I think, that we're really kind of starting to worry about him a bit. Um, He's hitting 170 with a 220 on-base percentage during those 13 games. Um, you know, if you go back you know, a few more games before that, he was coming off of a few games with m- multiple hits in each game. So, you know, this really is just kind of a slow two-week stretch for him for whatever reason. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's anything to make too big of a deal about, but, you know, at the same time, hey, we got to find stuff to talk about. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's really uh, – the, the, that's kind of the, one of the big things to follow in September is – Will J.D. Martinez get to 40 home runs? Because if you look back in Tiger's history, there, there are some pretty, uh, pretty notable names there. I know that Miguel Cabrera was obviously the last one to reach that plateau as a Tiger. Uh, before him, you have to go all the way back to Cecil Fielder in the early 1990s as the last Tiger to hit over 40 home runs. And then uh, before that, I believe you're looking at probably the 1960s or 1970s.
0: I want to say Daryl Evans. I'm not looking at stats now, but I want to say Daryl Evans in 1986 or 7. Uh, No,
1: I remember this now. It was 1985 that Evans did that. And then before that, you're looking at guys. I mean, you know, these are some pretty impressive names on that list. You know, Norm Cash did it. Um, Hank Greenberg did it a number of times. Uh, Guys like that, you know, guys that, you know, any Tigers fan who knows stuff is, you know, those are kind of household names for those people.
0: You know, it's funny. I can I can kind of fumble through that talking to you, but I actually met Daryl Evans. I, I want to say last year, maybe year before, at one of the Whitecaps games when they do their uh, Tiger Fridays throughout the summer. And Daryl Evans was the special guest that night. So, being a guy that I grew up with, watching play, I loved to watch him play, big home run hitter in that in that period. So I you know met him and got a baseball signed and everything. And I, I fumbled that in front of him. <laughs> I shook his hand, said you were one of my favorite first basemen. And, Boy, that one year, 1984, when you hit more than 40 home runs, and he just kind of looked at me and went, "Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't 1984." <laughs> like, oh yeah, right. I'll uh, I'll just I'll I'll go commit Harry Carey then over here. Foolishness. So the the question, since we uh, since we have to. Uh, make this fun for ourselves and kind of set predictions. And and remember what happened last week. We, we had some predictions set uh, in terms of the Kluber versus Farmer game. Neither guy ended up making the start, com- you know, completely ruined our, our game. Let's try again this week. Will J.D. Martinez get to that 40 home run mark? Do you say yes or no? Yeah, I think he will. I'm going to say, if I have to throw a number on it, I'm going to say 42. 42. Is yes. Is the line. Okay. I will take the under on 42 in do you fact it's a 40 i think he ends at 39 oh i know i know but that th- that's based on nothing this is what you do when you're kind of you know doing the sports prediction thing obviously there's there's this is baseless this is garbage we're just having fun at this point so uh just the way that the baseball gods have been raping us silly this year he'll get to 39 just just to really send off the season with a miserable kind of a wet kind of sound well they've thrown us a couple bones so far we have Miguel Cabrera going out for his batting title
1: you know you've got a couple other guys having some pretty solid seasons Can, we, can you just um, not
0: talk about that though because if we talk about it it's gonna stop you know we were talking about how how fun it was to watch Jose Iglesias doing things in the field and now he's he's not there anymore so I shouldn't mention the fact that Justin Verlander is pitching tonight. you can mention that he's pitching but I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, Get well, excited. technically, technically, he's not pitching yet because the game, I believe, is in a delay. And
1: I tweeted before the game that the Indians are only delaying the game so we can watch the whole thing after
0: we're done with this. But we will, we'll see. Yeah, you're you're a, you're a better fan than I am because I don't care that Verlander pitching tonight. I honestly don't. <laughs> I mean, I like to watch Justin pitch. Don't don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm getting a little weary towards the end of the season of, of watching the offense screw up his great starts. Or, or we said.
1: Last time we said that it was the one thing that we have. It's the one thing. No, but and you're throwing the it away. Team,
0: the rest of the team is just effing this up royally for me. So Yeah, they, they are. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, 2016 cannot come soon enough. But before we get to 2016, we have to finish out the month of September. And in September, we have this thing called September Call-Ups. And we have seen the roster expand a little bit, including this weird little... Uh, exchange that took place where the Tigers designated Daniel Fields for assignment. He was promptly snatched up by the Milwaukee Brewers who also took Hernan Perez uh, from the Tigers earlier this year. And uh, they called up Josh Wilson. So uh, let's make sense out of that. If, if, if we can.
1: Well, I guess let's kind of look at it in two parts. Um, If you know, designating Daniel Fields for assignment, isn't that surprising Mm -hmm. of a move. Um, You know, he'd been in the system for a while now. He was going to be, you know, they have some other guys coming up that are going to be Rule 5 draft eligible. Fields hasn't really performed very well in the upper minor leagues, and he's had some injury issues. So, you know, designating him for assignment when you're probably going to need the 40-man roster space at the end of the season, not exactly the worst thing in the world. Now, calling up Josh Wilson in his place. Josh Wilson, who, keep in mind, is a 34-year-old utility infielder who hits worse than Don Kelly for his <laughs> entire career. Um, you know, why are you giving this guy in a, ro- a roster spot in September? I mean, they explained that it was because Jose Iglesias is, is injured and that he's going to, you know, possibly get some playing time. But at the same time, it's like, what what in the world are you calling him up for? You know, you've got three or four other infielders on the roster already. Even without Iglesias, they have Andrew Romwine. Who can play second and short? Mm-hmm. You have Dixon Machado, who is uh, playing shortstop and even a little bit second base. Obviously, Ian Kinsler is still your full-time second baseman. Uh, you've got a couple other infielders: Nick Castellanos and Jeffrey Marte, who can play third base. So you don't need to necessarily move Romine over there. Although they have in the last few games, and, you know, it's really just kind of a kind of a puzzling, puzzling move for them. For no reason it seems
0: so who did they not call up that you would have rather they called up instead of josh wilson because anybody 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 else (laughs) you could have they could have called up even alexi casilla
1: who is pretty much the same thing as josh wilson uh except he's three years younger uh casilla if you remember played for the twins for a while and is still kind of that same you know not very good at batting but can play multiple infield positions type of guy um, he's three years younger so I would have rather had him than Josh Wilson who fills absolutely no hole whatsoever
0: yeah uh, Josh Wilson for me is always going to be the guy that struck out with the bases loaded in extra innings and that's that's just always going to remind me of of Brad Osmus and uh, it's, it's a sad tail that ends with a lot of uh, weeping and, and fetal positions and things like that so uh, we're, we're just going to go ahead and pull this segment over to the side of the road and uh turn off what's what's happening here and, and, and get out of this deal your 2015 detroit tigers ladies and gentlemen <laughs> coasting to the side of the road on fumes and just sort of dies yeah all right so take a short break going to go uh maybe try pep up a little bit and come back with the warming in the pen segment and we're going to be talking about a double scoop of central with a side of central sauce after the break here's
1: the two-two it's in the fly ball wide field deep and down the line and go!
0: victor martinez with a two-run shot tigers back on top here in the seventh they lead it seven to six well, now we go to our warming in the pen segment, a little bit of a look forward at what the next week holds. Uh, it's just funny that we come off this previous segment and it's just so miserable. Uh, Tigers baseball is not fun anymore. And, and yet we're going to go ahead and look ahead. It's, let's let's see what the uh, the next week holds for us in terms of uh, immense suffering and misery. The good thing is it's like central, central, and then more central. It's a central coated game series with a crunchy central coating. It's coated in central sauce. it's beautiful. Looking at the uh, the schedule, let's see here coming up, uh, we got to finish the series with Cleveland, three more games Then there's three games against Minnesota, three against the Royals, uh, four more against the White Sox, followed by three more against the the twins. It's just it's central, central, central. It's the 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 one bright spot, Rob, is that as of this time and we're recording here on Friday night, Uh, The Tigers are still beating the pants off the AL Central. They're still thirty-two and twenty-five against Central teams.
1: Yeah, it's kind of nice to at least have that in our back pocket. Um, You know, the Tigers only have one more uh, series left this season against a non-AL Central team, and that's a series against the Rangers, I believe, the second-to-last series of the season. Um, But you know, so they've handled Central teams pretty well. Throughout the year, uh, I don't know what that means for wins and losses. If anything, that might kind of knock us out of a potential top ten protected draft pick next year, which is almost something we don't want. Um, but you know, it would be it would be kind of nice to see them get a couple couple more wins to finish throughout the year.
0: Let's let's go over that just real quick because I know that maybe not all listeners are familiar with what we're talking about. We use the hashtag on Twitter sometimes, protect the pick. You know, we talk about how it's kind of actually a good thing that they're losing right now because we want to protect the pick. Explain, if you you will, how how that actually works.
1: Well, the MLB draft order is based on record the previous year. It goes in opposite order, so whoever has the worst record in baseball will have the number one overall pick in next year's draft. The top ten ten picks are what are considered protected. Um, If the Tigers go out and sign a draft or sign a free agent who has a draft pick attached to his name, someone who has declined a qualifying offer, um, off the top of my head, if you think of someone like uh, Kendrys Morales last year, I don't know, that was probably the worst example I could have thought of. Uh, Max Scherzer last year get, got the Tigers an extra draft pick after signing with the Washington Nationals. If the Tigers were to sign that sort of quality of free agent, they would not have to forfeit that top 10 pick. They would instead, for, instead forfeit their second-round pick, which is probably going to be somewhere between the 40 to 50 range. Um, so it's pretty big advantage for you know, a team like them to have that top 10 pick as opposed to somewhere in the 11 to 15 range.
0: So it really is true. We, we actually do want them to lose as many games as possible at this point.
1: I mean, it would be nice if they lost less awfully. <laughs> this, you know, the bullpen would kind of like not give up 12 runs in a game and games would end in, you know, a nice tidy three hours, uh, like last night's game. Last night's game was a fairly quick game. Uh, I had to... Do the recap for that one, and I was I
0: appreciated that they lost in relatively <laughs> brief fashion. Thanks, Tigers. We appreciate that. And and yet I was watching uh, the, the part of that game right right up until the, like it was the eighth inning when they lost the lead. On the I think it was a Brantley home run. I, I don't know. I, I try to block this stuff.
1: It it was a Brantley home run because I had him in my uh,
0: Fanduel stuff going here forward. So here we go. Here we, we go. go. Now you're this, playing the the daily fantasy sports.
1: This podcast, sponsored by every daily fantasy sports site you can think of. We should get some money from them.
0: You know, we really should. Maybe if we uh, kind of pit them against each other every other podcast. So this one is sponsored by DraftKings. Next week, we'll sponsor by FanDuel. Let them kind of fight it out, and then uh, they can pay us directly. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Anthony Ghost though, looking pretty good lately. Currently on a bit of a hot streak. Rob, is this something that, uh, is it going to last? Is this, uh, we were talking earlier about how J.D. Martinez is kind of at that point where when he slumps, we're okay with it because we kind of trust that that's not really who he is. Uh, kind of in the, in the reverse then, it, with ghosts going on a hot streak, uh, is that, you know, is it sustainable? Is that, uh, you know what I'm saying? Is he coming back to earth?
1: You'd like to think that his it, it will be a little bit sustainable. Um, you know he's reached base in every game he's played in this September and has a hit in all but one of them. Um, so he's you know really kind of hitting well. He's already risen his OPS by about thirty points this month hmm. right, in, the, in the ten games that they have played. Um, so doing pretty well there. I'm pulling it up right now. He is hitting three fifty three in September. Is getting on base forty three percent of the time. Um, you know, I don't think that is too sustainable. Um, even in you know his high April and May, he was only getting on base at about a 350 clip. Um, so that's definitely not going to carry forward. But you know, going forward, it would be nice to see him be a little bit more consistent with this. You know, he was very good in April and May really kind of sucked eggs in June, July, and August, uh, and then was kind of picking it up again in September. And that has led to what is actually, you know, a fairly decent offensive season from a guy like Ghost. He's hitting about 260, getting on base about a 320 clip. Um, you know, his OPS+, plus, which is, you know, kind of all hitters compared to league average, and I believe Park adjusted as well is 94 for the season which is slightly below, below average but for a player like him who's not getting paid much money and you know is a pretty good defender in the outfield despite what the defensive metrics are saying you know that's kind of a valuable season so you know hopefully he can raise those numbers up a little bit more going forward and maybe carry some of that forward going into 2016
0: right and just for the listeners who may not be familiar with the OPS plus rob just stated that uh, Ghost is sitting at 94 right now the average is 100 so that's actually not that far off from from average. If he was sitting, say, in the low 80s, you might say oh, it's, it's it's not a good thing. But you know, if if he can at least provide adequate replacement level, average level offense, I, I think his defense, like you said, is is enough to kind of offset that.
1: Well, I think we also needed to distinguish between average level and replacement level. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as replacement and you know WAR and wins above replacement, replacement level is far below average. Uh, replacement level is like josh wilson don kelly area um average is about two wins above replacement two war per season um you know and ghost is kind of at that level right now you know if his defensive numbers were better he would probably be closer to that range um so you know what he's providing offensively well not great and maybe probably not the guy you want at the top of the order you know you can live with something
0: like this yes and i do sometimes use the terms replacement level and average interchangeably when i probably shouldn't so that's Rob Jackie and he's going to get me on a technicality, and that's what happens. But hey, you know, I, at least I can admit it. It's well, just,
1: another, yeah. thing wanna, another thing I want to another thing I want to point out with Ghost is that he's hitting almost 280 with a oh, uh, with an on base percentage of 334 against right handers. Um, you know, so as a platoon bet, he's actually hitting pretty well. It's really just his numbers against lefties and the fact that he's had to play against more lefties lately since the trade deadline that I think has kind of sunk his numbers a bit.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the platoon was a nice thing to have, and like you said, they don't really have that option as much anymore. It it does kind of raise the question going into you know twenty sixteen. Um, you know what what does the, the does Ghost become the guy that that is the you know the regular starter for the Tigers in center field, or do they need to do something to kind of upgrade at that position?
1: I don't necessarily know that they need to upgrade at that position. Um, but you have Roger Davis who is going to be a free agent. He was kind of the other half, the the lesser half, if you want to call it that, because he gets fewer plate appearances mm-hmm. uh, of that center field platoon. And it was going pretty well for the first few months of the season. So I don't think you need to replace Ghost by any means. I think he's still, you know, kind of an adequate center fielder. You need guys who aren't getting paid much like he is to kind of fill out that roster. If you can add you know a Raji Davis whether it be Davis himself or a similar player who you know hits against lefties well and can play a solid center field um, you know getting someone like that to fill in uh, whenever there's a lefty on the mound I think would you know, still give you a pretty strong uh, you know pretty strong position there at center field uh, it's more the leadoff hitter type player that the tigers need but i don't necessarily know if that needs to come from center field despite every old crotchety manager always <laughs> trying to fit
0: their speedy center fielder into the leadoff hole i don't know. i would love to kind of go back and look and see when that became a thing because i mean going back to the 80s when i you know grew up on tigers baseball chet lemon I don't, it was not the leadoff hitter it was always Whitaker, you know then Trammel. so I, I don't know when that whole speedy center fielder as leadoff guy became the thing to do but uh whatever interesting to talk though about the the whole issue of needing platoon partner for uh for ghosts uh that that i think that kind of becomes the same issue at catcher uh in terms of you know mccann and avila i think are a really good dynamic duo if they they can play off of each other as platoon partners but i would expect that if al avila really is the the sabermetrics oriented guy that we think he is he's going to recognize that and probably fill those spots in that way wouldn't you think I think
1: the catcher's going to be a little bit different than center field. Uh, you have a guy in McCann who I think will be okay against right-handers. You know, he may not be great against some of the tougher right-handers that they're going to see. Um, but, you know, it, uh, on one hand, who is? Um, and on the other hand, I think that, you know, McCann will still get kind of the lion's share of playing time there, regardless of whether there's a righty or a lefty on the mound. I think that the Tigers would benefit from getting a left-handed bat to kind of not necessarily platoon with, I can, but back up, McCann. can. And I don't think Avila is going, I don't think Alex Avila is going to be that player. Mm-hmm. I think that Al Avila really wants to distance himself from his son. Um, you know, for multiple reasons, the the kind of declining numbers are one. Uh, but I think just from a professional standpoint, I think right. he wants to kind of get away from that. Um, it seems like he, he he seemed a little bit awkward when answering some of those questions, even though I thought he handled them very well. So getting someone else who can kind of fill that role as kind of a backup catcher, you know, if you get a veteran-type guy who can kind of mentor McCann a little bit, I think that will be helpful as well.
0: Uh, But I don't know if it's going to be as strict of a platoon as you'll see in center field. Just interesting to me, that uh, the thing that I am looking forward to, the things that I'm looking forward to the most coming up is like winter meetings Thanksgiving, Christmas, it's all this stuff going into the offseason. I'm, I'm very, very interested to see the approach that uh, Alavila ends up taking. Uh, but before we get to the offseason, we have to get through October. And I did check the MLB rule books. I searched them up and down. It turns out that even though the Tigers are not going to be in the playoffs, that they still have to actually have a playoffs season. So apparently that's still going to happen. There's still going to be some ALDS series. There's still going to be some central stuff going on. Uh... uh a World Series is going to happen, so even though the Tigers aren't going to be a part of that, um, I guess we kind of have to talk about who who you who you who do you root for in in October when the Tigers aren't part of that conversation anymore. And and maybe the bigger question is why.
1: You know, I really haven't put a lot of thought into what team I would want to root for. Um, I guess I kind of gravitate towards seeing former tigers play well um in particular the guys that i kind of want to see do well are david price and uana Cespedes, a pair of players that we had on team this year um you know as far as who i want to win i guess i don't really have a true pull towards anyone obviously i'm a tigers fan not a fan of any of these other teams um but i will be watching the playoffs and if anything i'll probably be more inclined to watch the playoffs this year than i have been in previous years you know in 2013, I was so angry that Tigers lost the ALCS mm. that I just couldn't bear to watch the World Series. Uh, you know, in 2014, I watched some of it, um, including I definitely watched the World Series when the Royals were involved. Um, but at the same time, I found it a little bit more difficult to watch after the Tigers had been eliminated. Uh, You know, just kind of out of frustration that I think the team that this team could have done better, Um, but this year, you know, with them out of the hunt, it'll be you know kind of one of those things that I just want to enjoy watching it. Um, You know, I I hate watching, among other things, midweek football. You know, you get Southwest Tennessee Tech against you know Northern Missouri State uh, on a Tuesday night game on ESPN, and nobody wants to watch that. Uh, So you know, you've got great playoff baseball in front of you. You might as well enjoy it.
0: I, I I'm not sure who I'm rooting for, honestly. Uh, obviously, the, to, the, to me, the pick is is uh, David Price. I, I liked him a lot. I loved Cespedes too. I just can't bring myself to root for the Mets after 1986 because that. Well, was... I
1: do uh, I do kind of enjoy the Mets doing well. Um, in part because living in DC, the kind of inferiority complex that this town has with New York. I find it hilarious, even though <laughs> I live here. Um, and the fact that the Mets just kind of stormed back as soon as they acquired Cespedes took the lead over the Nationals. and Now everyone in DC is losing their minds over this thing. Uh, it really is kind of funny to me. You know, I like you know I like the Nats team. I like Bryce Harper. Obviously, I like Max Scherzer, Doug Fister, the former Tigers on that team. But to see you know the Mets just kind of cause this chaos throughout this entire city is really kind of hilarious to me and i like that and i also like the you know all the young flame-throwing pitchers that the mets have you know noah cinder matt harvey and the like so they're kind of an easy team to root for for me i
0: hate the mets i hate them 1986 was such a, a traumatic scarring experience for me i don't know why i was so attached to the red sox at that point uh but i i was and and part of that still lingers so even now when the Red Sox have won you know a couple World Series and people hate Boston fans now I'm still kind of like yeah but it's it's Boston I like Boston I could still name you the starting lineup from the 1986 uh, Boston Red Sox and so yeah the the Mets just the, the sight of their uniform sends shivers up and down my spine so I'm not I know Cespedes is on the team and that makes it very difficult for me to to choose this side but i'm not really rooting for the mets i am rooting for the blue jays i am rooting for david price i liked david price i think he worked his butt off for the tigers in the time that he was here i think he deserves to play on a team that's going to give him a shot at actually going all the way you know through the world series and winning a championship ring i also put money on the blue jays on uh (laughs) Way back in May, when they were like twenty or thirty to one odds to win, I went with the run differential as an instinct, and I I really want to see that pay off just because it would be cool. It would make this whole season worth it. I think the Mets Blue Jays World Series will be very entertaining.
1: You know, you've got you these know. young arms, Syndergaard, Harvey, guys that I mentioned, against that Blue Jays offense. I think that's you know kind of great matchup. Uh, and you have, you know, two very different, you know, this kind of comes into play two very different stadiums. Uh, you know, you got Roger Center in Toronto, which is about the size of my bedroom here. Um, and the, you know, and the city field in New York, which is like the size of, you know, several national parks. Mm. So it will, uh, it will be interesting, you know, if that, you know, world series kind of pans out, I, I hope it does. I, I shudder at the thought of a Royals Cardinals world series, uh. Uh, but, so, you know, something like that I think would be really entertaining, and I'd,
0: I'd love to watch that. Let, let, let's let's put this on the line a little bit here, because, you know, it's fun to make the predictions and then be proven absolutely wrong later. Who do you have making it to the World Series? Who are the two teams, not necessarily the ones that you want to, but who do you actually think is going to be in, in that final dance? I think the Blue Jays are just bludgeoning
1: teams right now and are too hot to be stopped in the AL. Um, and in the National League, because the baseball gods hate us, I think it'll be the Cardinals. So I, I, I'm going with Cardinals Blue Jays.
0: That's funny. I, I gave this some thought before the podcast, and I came to the same conclusion. I said it's gonna be, it's gonna be a series on wing. It's gonna be a birds I, series. I came up with that in five seconds. Well, it it, it takes me a little longer to process because you know more alcohol. So that's the booze talking. That's right there. the booze breaking up the thinking process right there. It's it's a wingy kind of series. It's red birds and blue birds, and. Uh, I, I I think that's what's going to... I think the Blue Jays actually might win it. I really do. Like you said, it's... Good. And the fun part about it is it's going to be a slugfest from their side of, you know, with the offense they're putting up. And I think that's going to be a fun thing to watch.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that offense, I think, will be very difficult for even, you know, kind of a playoff caliber rotation and playoff caliber pitching staff to stop. Um, you know, this is... You know, I I struggle to think of an offense in the last 10 years that is as loaded as this one. And you know it's it's just kind of interesting to see how far they can go.
0: And I think by now we're probably boring there are our listeners who are like, "Yeah, this has nothing to do with Detroit. Come on, talk about the Tigers." So yes, I'll just kind of end this segment with the caveat that all of this is presuming that the Tigers don't go twenty-two and zero the rest of the way and actually get to that eighty-six win mark and somehow make a wild card spot, and then. I, I can't even finish this with a straight face. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Oh, they're going to get beat tonight. I can feel it. Well, maybe not. Verlander's on the mound. So it's their, it's their one in five games win that they get to enjoy. Oh, boy. I think that's just about it for the Warming in the pen segment. Let's take a quick break, come back with the High and Tight segment because we are got to talk about the Tigers' front office and a major WTF after the break. 3-2, swinging a fly ball, center field. This one's deep, going back. Borges at the warning track, looking up, and it's gone! A home run! Amazing. How about it?
1: First chance to hit 400, and Miguel Cabrera delivers in his first at bat of the day
0: and carrying on with the podcast into the high and tight segment this is where we kind of cover the hot news items of the week and really rob there's there's only one news item that is dominating Tigersville Tiger Town the tiger fan base is thinking about one thing and it's <laughs> i can't even believe this the breaking news, so-called, that uh, came out last night. Bernie Smilovitz on WDIV. If, the, if You grew up in the 80s like I did. You remember Bernie's bloopers on Fridays during the sports segment at night. Uh, yeah, Bernie, uh, so-called broke news that isn't really news and wasn't really exclusive to him anyway. That uh, the Tigers are going to fire Brad Osmus. Did you know this, Rob? Did you know they were going to fire Brad? Well, when I saw the news pop up on Twitter, I
1: think my first thought was, uh, duh. <laughs> Um so I, I don't necessarily know if it's breaking news that the Tigers are going to fire Brad Osmus. Um but you know the fact that it's being leaked right now it's that's been That's the question. That's kind of the question you have. Um so I I guess I just don't know really where to go with this. You know, it's not really kind of an unexpected thing. Um I guess the big question now is should the Tigers fire him now that the cat's kind of out of the bag, or do they let him still play out the season?
0: I like how you said question, like there's only one, like this isn't like the the Tigers front office is the sweater that just got snagged on a nail and is now unraveling like crazy. And and Alavila is scurrying around trying to scoop the toothpaste back into the tube and can't do it. There are so many questions I have about this. Number one, how did this leak? First of all, and maybe we have to back up a little bit and say. Bernie, uh, Bernie Smilovitz did not break the news. Detroit Sports Rag had this as much as I hate to admit that they had this, and that's all I'm going to say about them. Uh, but they had this story, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, the fact that, um, you know, pretty much Mike Illich was done with, with uh, Brad Osmus and, and Dave Dombrowski as a pair, and that this was going to happen. So, yeah, the, like you said, the fact that uh, that he's getting fired isn't really news. It's how this is coming out. How did it leak? Why did it leak at this point? Now that it's out there, if you're Brad Osmus, do you, you know, do you resign at this point and say this is unacceptable the way this is being handled? Do you kind of carry out this, you know, what is obviously a lame duck administration? Uh, I promised I promised I would tell you the story of when this happened to me, something very similar very early in my professional career when I worked for a small startup company and worked for them for about a year before they went through huge financial difficulty and they needed to make about 10 layoffs uh all at once and so the the executives got together in their little boardroom and shut the doors and and they were actually in the process of drafting a a form template like email to let people know that they were being let go and uh the the head hr guy his his name is close enough to my name that he meant to send this email to himself he accidentally sent it to me so i got an email at like eleven thirty in the morning saying uh-huh. you know we're sorry to inform you you're positions being terminated. I'm like, what? And the, I go back to the conference room, and he opened the door, and he's like, what? Like, I just got this email letting me know that I'm fired, and his face just, like, the, the color drained. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, yeah, why don't you come on and So I got fired early that day.
1: Well, it's a good thing that Al Avila's not your boss, because then he probably would have had some mob guy whack you. <laughs>
0: I'm not letting go of that. I Still think Alavila looks like a mob boss. He does, and and it's it's kind of going down that way, right? There's, there's so rest in
1: peace to the good soul that uh that leaked that information. Uh, Alavila did take
0: your cannolis, by the way. <laughs> that guy's already dead. Someone's gonna get a, a fish wrapped in newspaper. <laughs> oh my. God goodness uh, so if yeah if, if I'm Brad Osmus in this situation this is not good I don't care what ala says in terms of oh no 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 we haven't made a decision we still plan to evaluate and even as he's saying this he's making a bigger mess of it I think if I was Brad I might walk see I, I go the exact
1: opposite way Brad Osmus has you know some odd million reasons to not walk uh, you know with his contract guaranteed through 2016. He will get paid that money if he's fired. Um, and he won't if he doesn't. You know, he's a guy that's made plenty of money throughout his career, but you know, if you're getting paid, I don't even know how much managers get paid, but you know, let's say he's making two million dollars next season. That's two million reasons why you don't resign out of this. You know, as painful as it might be, I would manage twenty odd games going down the stretch, even if everyone kinda didn't really you know, it was really kind of awkward. I'd endure that to, you know, walk away with that money
0: would you do what Phil Koch's brain has been advocating on Twitter all day which is basically look at we got 20 games left and I know I'm done I know I'm fired at this point so screw it Bruce Rondone starts at shortstop Miguel Cabrera starts in right field Ian Kinsler is my starting pitcher doesn't matter at this point I mean why
1: not? see at the same at the same time uh you know Osma still has probably some connections in this game i know that among other things he's been mentioned as a potential front runner for the san diego padres uh potentially open manager position so you know if he's he still has something to manage for in that regard uh, you know as entertaining as it might be to see you know alex wilson try to catch fly balls or things like that um you know, he's not going to necessarily screw with anything too much, but at the same time, he doesn't, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of an awkward situation for him. And I, I guess I do kind of feel a little bad for Osmus in this regard. Um,
0: but, you know, I, I definitely don't think he will resign. See, this is just one more thing that the baseball gods have taken away from me in terms of my enjoyment of this year, because I was kind of looking forward to Osmus being fired at the end of the year. And now the way that it's gone down. Yeah, I'm starting to kind of feel bad for the guy. And I don't want to feel bad for Brad Osmus. I, I mean, I, I, he's fine as a person. I just don't like him as a manager. And this is not the way that you, I, I think you treat people, period. And yeah, just so many questions. How in the world did this information leak in the first place? I mean, what kind of a ship are they running at this point?
1: Well, the question you almost have to ask at this point is whether Mike Illich is kind of meddling a little bit too much Mm -hmm. with some of this stuff. Um, You know, he goes and basically, you know, he fires Dave Dombrowski after the trade deadline. Um, You know, he's had his hands kind of on the Victor Martinez contract. Uh, You know, the Prince Fielder contract, you know, back a few years ago was also one that he was heavily involved in, although that one kind of worked out for us in the end. Um, But, you know, he's really kind of he's putting his hands on this organization more and more after years and years of being hands-off and just kind of handing his money away to the general manager. And that's a little bit concerning because, you know, when you see owners do this type of thing, they're not always the best people. In, they're not always the best people to make these baseball decisions. You know, they've made their money elsewhere. They're not, you know, baseball guys, quote-unquote. Uh, and that's a little bit concerning for the health of the franchise.
0: Yeah. So, Mike, stick to the pizza empire. Just, just be the pizza tycoon, and let the guys who know the baseball stuff do the baseball stuff, because this is not—it's not a good look for Detroit at this point, and, and it does, I think, raise some legitimate concerns about what's happening in the front office. And I will say this: I, I see so many people, whether it's in comments on the site or on Twitter, uh, you know, kind of saying associating al avila with this you know and saying well the, the hiring and firing of the managers is gonna that that's part of quote-unquote avila's first move or that's that's avila's job or whatever and i i can't stress enough i don't think he's got a whole lot to say at this point i think mike illich is is putting him in a very difficult position because mike illich is the one that's that's driving that bus yeah and that really is kind of
1: concerning if you know he if avila is I don't necessarily want to say a puppet, but if he's you know kind of being forced to make some of these moves, I don't like where that's heading. Um, thankfully, some of the rumors we've heard aren't that concerning, and I think we'll get that get to that in a minute. Um, but you know, as far as the long-term health of the franchise goes, you know, giving Victor Martinez four years on the contract, you know, something that Dave Dombrowski probably advised against uh, while he was here, you know, it's it's not looking good for this team's prospects down the road.
0: Well, let's move on to that next subject that you just alluded to. And that's, I think everyone knows at this point, it's being written about and talked about the front runner for that managerial spot after Osmus is gone, seems to be Ron Gardenhire. So there's a big happy box that we get to unpack and and talk all about the dynamics of, I know that a lot of people's, you know, hear that and say, Oh no, not Gardenhire. That was the last guy I wanted. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you, but you know, like we talked about last week, it's not necessarily the worst thing, right? It's not at all, and I, I'm,
1: I don't necessarily say I want to, that I'm warming to the idea of Gardenhire as our next manager. But I think there are a lot of guys that I would rather not see in that position. Um, you know, guys like Dusty Baker, Bobby Valentine. You know, guys that have made the absolute messes of their of their position. You know, and Ron, all Ron Gardenhire did was you know take. Uh, several Minnesota Twins teams that had no business making the playoffs into playoff positions before, you know, his roster really kind of fell apart on him. Uh, You know, he's definitely more of an old-school type. He's probably going to bunt a little bit more than we like, probably going to, you know, uh, stick to strict bullpen rules a little bit more than we would like. Um, But, you know, it seems like he's kind of the kind of guy that a lot of players really like. Um, So, you know, he's more of that quote-unquote player's manager uh so you know i can't exactly hate this idea too much
0: because he looks like santa claus you can't hate that i mean you don't get presents if you hate that and as far as you know him being the old school guy yeah i mean he's he's the experienced manager with the old school techniques and so forth but i looked at the bunting numbers and just comparing what he did uh year by year in terms of what the american league averages were it's um you know, it's it's not that bad. He was usually right around league average, sometimes under the league average. There were two years, like I think 2008 and 9, or maybe it was 9 and 10, that he was way above league average in, in sacrifice bunts. Uh, but most of the time, no, he was right around average or even under average. So I, I'm not too worried about that. I, and like we talked about last week, I think the big difference is having alavilla as general manager, having the Sabre metrics enter the picture there at that point in the pipeline. And that kind of filters down to, you know, what, what uh, if it's Ron Gardenhire, that, then it filters down to what he has to work with in the dugout. And so, yeah, there's there's the argument to be made on both sides. You could say a bad manager could really screw up a good sabermetrically built roster. On the other hand, probably not too much. So I mean, What? I don't even know that I would call Ron Gardenhire a bad manager. He's got, you know,
1: a pretty good track record. Well, no, I,
0: mean, I meant bad as in... Tactical. Tactically, you know, if if he's going to, yeah, even if he's bunting all the time and and putting the wrong pitchers in the wrong spots, you know, he he would have to be awesomeness to the max to to screw up a good roster.
1: Well, the other question you have to ask is what will he do with, you know, a legitimately talented roster? You know, Mm -hmm. he had a couple players in Justin Morneau, Joe Maurer, you know, good players in that regard, but he didn't have the kind of talent that he would have. Here in Detroit, he didn't have a Miguel Cabrera on his roster. He didn't have, you know, JD Martinez, Ian Kinsler, uh, Victor Martinez. If he comes back, he never had that kind of offense. So it's really kind of tough to say. You know, would he be different here? You know, a a guy that I've kind of been thinking about with this is Clint Hurdle, manager of the of the Pirates right Mm -hmm. now. Um, you know, when he was in Colorado, he was kind of used, viewed as this old school type manager, you know, had some success with them. I think he was the guy that was managing them when they went to the world series back in 2007. Um, but then he gets hired by the pirates and really kind of changes tune. You know, you have this very saber heavy for an office, I think probably more saber heavy than the tigers will be even under a villa. Um, but he really kind of embraced that philosophy. You know, he's been using a lot of defensive shifts and really using the data that his firm office has given to him. And you have to wonder if, you know, Ron Gardenhire or whoever takes the Tiger's job could kind of be that same old dog learning new tricks.
0: Yeah, just to repeat for probably the 15th time on this podcast, I, I really think as long as Gardenhire is not actively opposed. To the sabermetric principles that, that Avila is trying to kind of filter down the pipeline, then it, it's fine. He doesn't have to be a saber guy himself as long as he's willing to kind of adapt and, you know, not, not uh, hamper the the ability there. I think that's fine. The other, you know, issue that, that people tend to raise is Gardenhire's record in the, in the playoffs. Now, he did take six of those Minnesota Twins teams to a division championship, uh, but he only ever won a single ALDS series. After that It's it's kind of a mess. And the year that they won the ALDS, he lost immediately in the next round in the championship series. Uh, But so uh, the other five times that they made it to the ALDS, they were frequently actually swept. Um, But, Rob, I think, you know, I I try not to judge a manager based on his playoff records, because that can be such an absolute, you know, it's, it's a spin of the roulette wheel in some ways. Yeah, and in Garden thing case, I you know the first thought that popped in my head
1: when I saw that playoff record argument was how many times did he play the Yankees? Uh, you many know, during a lot of those years, you know that you had a lot of just stacked New York Yankees teams, stacked Boston Red Sox teams, yes. um, you know, and now that the playing field has kind of leveled out a little bit in the last ten years, I don't know that that's necessarily as relevant anymore. You know, Gardenhire they did kind of beat up on some weak AL centrals in their way to the postseason. But at the same time, he was kind of fighting against some juggernauts in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the Tigers were in the conversation during those, at least the, the latter part of those years. And they, they eventually kind of became the juggernaut towards the end of Gardenhire's career, 11, 12, 13, and 14. But, you, I mean, you're right. I, I want to say two, if not three times. They dealt with the Yankees, and a couple of those times they got swept right out of the division series. Another time they got swept out by the Oakland Athletics, who were, you know, it's just it's just one of those things where, again, in in a short series, it's it's hard to um, it's hard to it's hard to make any judgment calls at that point. Uh, I mean, I realize that's what happened to Brad Osmus last year, but I think what we saw there was more obviously, uh, you know, some very very bad tactical moves being made and in the in the case of Gardenhire I don't know I'd have to go back and watch the tapes again but I, I would give him the benefit of the doubt at least what you were saying you know that that it's possible he won those divisions because of a weak division and then ran into some very good teams in the playoffs with with not a great roster behind him
1: well I think it also goes back to kind of the same argument I had before in that Gardenhire hasn't necessarily had the same level of talent on this team he's right. never had a Justin Verlander take the mound in the playoffs. You know, he's never had that ace in the rotation to kind of rely on. So, you know, maybe he fares better with that. I I think it's really kind of an independent situation and that anyone that is too worried about it is, I think, being a bit premature with that argument.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's, we've seen what happens when you get a guy like Brad Osmus who is inexperienced in this, and, and in some ways, I can't say for sure, I'm just speculating, I realize that, but seems to have kind of lost the clubhouse, you know, and just has that kind of laid back thing going on. I, I'm more than ready to go back to the, you know, the grizzled old school style. Plus, he looks like Santa Claus. Did I mention that? Santa Claus.
1: <laughs> well, I've got one for you here. Uh, the the Free Press, Freep Sports, just tweeted, Breaking news. Turns out Brad Osmus will not manage the Tigers tonight. What? That's that's because tonight's game has been postponed due to rain.
0: You son of a bitch.
1: I got you there. All right. All right. That's that's <laughs> fine. Funny tweet, though. I, I got to give them credit for that. That's very funny.
0: Oh, the Freep. Okay. All right. So there it is. Yep, it sounds like Osmus is gone at the, at the end of this year. Um sounds like he's going to play out the string, at least according to what Alavila said. He he won't be uh let go before the end of the of the year and it certainly sounds like Gardenhire might be the guy to replace him and I'm not necessarily sure that that that's a bad thing. I mean, as much as people want to howl and complain about it. Look, guys, we weren't going to get Manny Acta. It just wasn't going to happen. You know, you're you're not going to get a full sabermetrics guy in the clubhouse so you know if we had to pick a an old school guy garden hair is not a bad not a bad choice so i think that'll probably just about do it for our high and tight segment when we come back from the break we will go into the mob scene at home take some listener questions and answer the question that everyone wants to know the answer to which is who's the best fox sport detroit analyst that's when we get back from the break Swing the fly ball left field. Deep going back
1: Cabrera. Looking up. And it's gone to home run. James McCann with the walk-off winner. Number three. Rounding third.
0: Exchanges the low 10 with Dave Clark. And into the route seat. And we are headed into the mob scene at home, this segment of the show where we take questions from our listeners. Love to hear from you guys. Uh, contact us on Twitter at Bless You Boys, or you can reach Rob and I specifically at BYB Rob and at Hookslide BYB. We take questions on Gmail at uh BYB Tigers at gmail dot com. All ways that you can get your questions into us and we, we love to interact with you on the show. We're gonna start out though with a poll that we placed on the site last week maybe 10 days ago something like that uh the question that we put up there was who is your favorite fox sports detroit analyst with mario and pemba sort of serving as the anchor of the play-by-play man and they have had uh three different um yeah three i can count One, two, three. Three different analysts kind of rotating through the booth uh throughout the year uh, rod allen of course who's been there for many many years uh he's shared time with kurt gibson and also with Jack Morris. So in the poll, the final results came out. Rod Allen won by a landslide. 56% of our readers preferred Rod Allen over anybody else. Kurt Gibson came in second with a 23%. And then the, uh, <laughs> the option of we prefer all of them kind of in rotation actually took third place with 13%. Poor Jack Morris sitting at the bottom of the pile there with 8%. Of the vote, so yeah. Sorry, Jack. That's 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 a harsh way to treat one of your 1984 aces. But there it when's is. The
1: last, when's the last time he was actually on on a broadcast?
0: That's a good question. The last one that I actually remember him being on was back in June, and I think he was probably on after that. So it's... see, I've been
1: I've been busy lately, so I haven't seen all the games. Um, and I know you tend to watch or uh, listen to them on
0: radio, right?
1: Uh, more than anything, Um, but I can't remember the last time that I heard Jack on the call.
0: Yeah, like I said, the only one that I recall specifically was back in June when they were playing, oh God, I'm going to forget now, probably the Mariners or the, I don't know, why am I even trying to guess? I can't remember, Uh, but it hasn't been as often as as Kurt Gibson, I feel like, uh, has been there probably more even than than Rod Allen this year, Um, but yeah, Rod Allen wins by the landslide, and that's that's kind of funny to me because I mean, for our audience, our readership, our listeners, the way that uh, we kind of you know lean more towards advanced metrics and that sort of thing, you would think that Rod Allen would absolutely drive people crazy. With every bunt being perceived as a good idea, uh, with the uh, you know the uh, weak ground out to second base being the, you can see that was a very unselfish at bat there. He was just trying to move the runner along, you know that that kind of stuff. And yet, I don't know. Rod's pure entertainment. He is absolutely pure entertainment.
1: He is, but at the same time, I'm uh, I don't necessarily want to say I'm leaning towards Kurt Gibson yet. I still think that Rod would be my favorite. Uh, you know, if I had to choose one. Um, but I really like kind of the the different the different in the two announcers that these guys bring. Um, it's been kind of refreshing uh, to get you know a little bit of a different perspective from Gibson who has managed at the at the major league level for one and offers a surprisingly saber heavy uh, I guess analysis to things you know he's brought up things like run expectancy which you know I don't think anyone really expected based on his uh, time with the Arizona Diamondbacks, but it's really kind of been nice and I really I really like that he you know, what he brings to the broadcast and kinda of the rapport that he's developed with Mario, um, their running joke about Gibby's scorecard in particular mm-hmm. has always been kinda of funny throughout the season. So i really I've really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, and who saw that coming? Who in the world saw it coming that Kirk Gibson, Mr. Grit, heart and hustle, old school, you know, the unwritten rules of baseball and having his pitchers throw at hitters and either just that kind of thing. This is the guy that comes out in the booth and says, you should memorize the run expectancy chart. And let's talk about war and let's talk about the, you know, all these kind of things. I, I made the point um, in the comments section on that post that what I really appreciate about it is when he's working with Mario, I know from having talked to Mario that Mario is very much in favor of, of the advanced stats too. He just struggles to uh, sort of find, um, an appropriate way to present that. He's very conscious of the fact that, as he said on last year's podcast, that his audience, he has to be kind of the USA Today, uh, you know, to his audience. So he, he struggles with, I think, the appropriate way to present the advanced metrics. But when Kurt Gibson is right there in the booth and you know bringing this stuff up, suddenly I've noticed that Mario will open right up and start talking about FIP and WIP and war and all those kinds of things. Well, I thought it was funny that the first time Gibson
1: mentioned Run Expectancy, Mario was kind of surprised himself, mm. and he, you know, almost didn't know where to go with it, um, but yeah, you know, having, you know, Gibson kind of break that out was, you know, a shock, really, uh, you know, the the Fox Sports Detroit broadcast team, and I think more some of the guys in the truck that I know read our site, you know, possibly listen to the podcast too, they will kind of sneak things in there at times, um, so to get, you know, the... The broadcast team talking about this willingly is really really kind of exciting and brings a
0: different dynamic to the broadcast we haven't had in years past. It's very true. And if that's the case, that uh it's more likely that the advanced metrics discussions will happen if Gibson is in the booth, then I'm all in favor of having him be there more often. But I would I don't want to lose Rod Allen completely because like I said, just for the sheer entertainment value, I mean the the stories he goes off on the one he was talking about in 2013 about yeah it just randomly how how do you get from baseball to you know I used to watch Jackie Chan movies when I or was it Bruce Lee it was Bruce I used to watch Bruce Lee movies when I was a kid well one time we came back and I kicked some fences down it's like what? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about in the middle of a broadcast but that's what you get with Rod and he and Mario kind of get silly sometimes and we all love when that happens and I don't I don't see that dynamic with with Kurt Gibson but. I don't want to lose the, the advanced metrics discussions either, so I'm all in favor of having those two guys just kind of rotate in and out. Sorry, Jack, you're, you're the yeah, one out.
1: <laughs> I will say, though, that I will give Jack credit. Um, I don't know if you watched any of the games on the West Coast. I specifically remember one or two in Seattle that Jack was on the call and really kind of getting kind of getting a little silly himself. Yes. So he, I, I don't know why exactly he's been kind of, Cut by the wayside. I know that Rod and... I really like both Rod and Gibby. But, you know, when Jack has kind of opened up a little bit, things have been very entertaining in that regard as well.
0: Yes. The, the, the one episode, I think it was the Seattle game that, that I was referring to earlier the last time I recall him being on the call. It, it was like in the middle of a blowout. The Tigers were crushing them. And he went on some rant about the, the, uh, the Mariners pitcher having all these tattoos on his arm. And said, well, you can really see what he's doing there is he's he's using that to disguise the ball. It gets lost in the tattoo. He's like presenting this totally seriously, totally deadpan. And finally, Mario was like, what are you talking about? And he says, I don't know. We're in the middle of a blowout. I got to find something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. So, yeah, I mean, Jack, Jack can have fun, too. But um, I'm, I'm completely fine with uh, Gibby and Rod being the being the two. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we promised to take some of the listener questions. Let's kind of get to those here. Robert Tomlinson at Rob Tom L underscore Statman says, Are the Whitecaps a better watch than the Tigers? And the answer is just yes. It's by definition this year that the Whitecaps, they're, they've made the playoffs. They, for the second year in a row, have made the playoffs, and then they proceeded to uh, sweep the Fort Wayne 10 caps in the first round of the playoffs, so they've advanced to the next round, taking on the the Lansing Lugnuts. That's the uh, Toronto Blue Jays affiliate, I believe. Um, they've been a ton of fun to watch this year. They've got some some real talent on that team. I loved watching Michael Gerber this year. Um, just an incredible, incredible eye at the plate. Your loved man- watching... What's that? Your man crush. My man crush, absolutely. It's it's a man crush that I developed only because I, I think I spotted... The talent in him early, and I was kind of proud of the fact that I did. Even when he wasn't necessarily hitting all that well at the start of the season, I, I noticed that he was he was so disciplined at the plate and taking some very close pitches and having them called for balls instead of strikes, and I thought this is, it's almost like watching Miguel Cabrera in that respect, that when, when Miguel takes a pitch, you trust the guy enough to know it's probably a ball, and that's why he took it. And I, I get that feeling with Gerber, that when he takes pitches, he knows they're balls. He's got great you know, vision at the plate. And when he hits, he hits hard. He's in a weird slump right now, but throughout the season, he's just, he's been on a tear. It's been fun to watch. Um, Joe Jimenez, uh, one of the relievers, they're the, the guy that they use as their closer, who frequently hits triple digits on the, on the gun. Another very uh, Bruce Rondon type, I think a uh, flamethrower with a little bit of um, work to be done in terms of the changeup and in the slider. Again, just a ton of fun to watch this guy come out there and just smoke batters like crazy. Um, there's, the, I could go on, but I don't need to. But yeah, for me, the, the White Caps have been so much more fun to watch than the Tigers this year.
1: Yeah, uh, and that's kind of the one drawback that I have living, you know, out here in DC is that I don't get to see some of these minor league affiliates. Um, you know, I could, you know pony up the money for i believe it's milb tv to get some of the minor league broadcasts but you know for one they're a little bit kind of a grainy footage not yeah. the, the the crystal clear high def that i get with the major league games and you know for two they're going on at the same time and you know if i had the choice i'm probably going to watch the tigers because i know you know most of those players obviously i think the white caps have been more entertaining they're winning among other things um but you know it would be a little bit nicer to be closer to home to kinda of get to go to those games sometimes. I know you go to quite a bit of the White Caps games and that's kinda of where a lot of your expertise comes from. So it would it would be nice to see those, but at the same time, you know, I do I am encouraged by what we've seen from them this season. Uh, you know, you mentioned Joe Jimenez, and that's kind of a guy that a lot of people have been asking about this season. You know, why isn't he moving up? You know, I asked a couple of people myself, why isn't he moving up with, you know, the amazing numbers he has? And a lot of people said that, you know, it's a it's a fastball command issue. Mm-hmm. He's not commanding the fastball as well as he should. Uh, he's only 20, 21 years old, so he's still got time to develop there. Uh, and once he does start to command that thing a little bit better, I think he's going to be a monster based on what everyone has said another Another player that uh some people have touched on I know Emily Walden has been impressed with Gerson Moreno, another mm-hmm. you know high nineties hundred mile an hour type pitcher Great. Uh, I, imagine, too. I imagine he's probably got kind of the same command issues, but you know if you can get one or two of those come up uh through the pump pipeline you're doing pretty well
0: yeah i I don't think you want to move these guys too quickly uh, I mean Jimenez at this point he probably could have gone up to advanced A or maybe even double a back in, I don't know, July, and that would have been fine. But yeah, uh, that's definitely an issue with him, is his fastball is... The guy doesn't throw a fastball under 96 miles per hour, and he, I think he relies on it too much. I would love to see him start to mix in the secondary pitches a little bit more. Uh, so yeah, he's throwing this fastball all the time, and it's it can be wild. Um, at this level, guys will swing at the high fastball out of the zone, and sometimes that works. Um, but yeah, that's I think that's why he... Hasn't necessarily, you know, shot through the system just yet. So
1: one one thing I will say about that is that I think there is some value in having some of these prospects go through the playoff race that the Whitecaps have gone through. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as a major league playoff race. You're not getting fifty thousand people in the stadium every night, but having them go through this, having them go through kind of the the high stress games that go that are in a playoff race whether that's you know in single a or double a i think is a bit better for their development than having them work on the same things against slightly better hitters in lakeland where they're gonna you know have half the stadium full and they're in last place and
0: excitement's not really there yeah that's that's an issue that you talked about you know ponying up the money for the ml milb tv subscription i did that for a couple of months and it's it's cheap 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 you know it's like a couple of pop cans turn them in get your 10 cents and go Pay for the subscription for the month um, but the the issue is that none of the Tigers affiliates are good this year except for the Whitecaps. everybody else is like rotting in the cellar just like the Tigers are so it's um, yeah I was watching some of the games on you know through milB TV and then I finally thought this is stupid I could just go to the park I'm like 15 minutes from the from the stadium so um, but yeah if it for the for the uh, listener who's you know interested i I'd say it's a, it's a cool investment. You know, it's not that expensive to get the subscription. And when the Tigers are not playing on a given night, then you can tune into the Whitecaps. I think it's worth it just to see the Whitecaps, but that's just me. Um, yeah, ton of fun to watch this year. So, uh, Mark Gorosh at Sports Five One Seven Six says, "How much money do you think the budget will be in 2016, and what are the Tigers spending it on?"
1: The way I kind of took this question was, will the budget increase, decrease, or kind of stay the same as it was this year? Uh, You know, the Tigers have a lot of money coming off the books. Uh, It's really kind of a tough question to answer because we don't know exactly how Al is going to tackle everything, and it does kind of lead into one of the questions we have coming in later on. Um, But, you know, I think they are going to focus on acquiring at least one starting pitcher. Um, You know, they'll probably grab an outfielder of some sort, Will they get a full time left fielder? We'll see. Will they try to kind of piecemeal some of the guys they have in the minors along with, you know, some cheaper options? That's tough to say too. I think the infield is pretty much set for next year unless the Tigers decide to go for or, you know, kind of make a, a bigger trade and get rid of one of the guys that they have. But yeah, otherwise I, I really only see kind of them tackling a couple, you know, maybe one or two big holes. In free agency and spending that money that way.
0: Now I'm trying to think. They spent 173 or 175. I year. kind of just think of it as kind of a 170
1: odd, you know, a, a kind of a rounded number there. I don't try to go into the specifics. I'm not going to, you know, really kind of think about you know a few million here or there. Um, as far as the Tigers' uh, numbers go, you know, a few dollars here and there, it can be it can be a big deal for us sometimes. Uh I, I don't necessarily know that I see the payrolls substantially increasing or decreasing compared to this year.
0: I was just I was trying to find out here because I want to say they did spend about hundred and seventy five million last year, so that gives you kind of a, a baseline to go from and the the luxury tax threshold is at hundred and eighty nine million uh going into next year. Uh so I I guess just my best guess at this um given what what Mike Illich said and conveyed to Alavilla when he hired Alavilla that the whole idea of you know we're putting the pedal to the floor pretty hard and I know he wants to win desperately I would not be surprised to see them bump the salary up at least to that limit to 188 189 million so it really that really adds what between 10 and 15 extra million it's not a huge jump um so that's that's my answer on I, what the budget I what I think the budget will be I think they're going to push it right to the the threshold as far as what they spend it on, uh, I was very interested um, to hear Dan Dickerson say the other night that he believes uh, that that the Tigers are going to spend big on a top shelf starting pitcher next year. That was his opinion. Jim Price seemed to agree with him. I, I mean, I generally tend to trust Dan's opinion on things. Um, so that's, I guess, I'm I'm kind of leaning that direction, saying I guess, well, okay, maybe they will. Maybe they'll they'll pony up and go get. You know a Johnny Cueto, maybe they'll get a David Price, or maybe come down just a couple of notches. And but I, yeah, maybe, maybe they will. So I'll, I'll I'll stick that out there as my answer. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Brad Barons at Brad Barons four says, "Where do you see players like Collins, Machado, Verhagen, et cetera, next season?" Well, the
1: one guy that he mentioned that I'm really kind of interested in is Drew Verhagen. Yeah, uh, he's put up putting up some pretty solid numbers. Going down the stretch here, um, and I've taken a look. And his velocity is sitting right around 95 miles an hour right now. He's touched 96 and a half, so yeah, we can kind of round it up and call it 97. At one point this uh, this year, uh, so you know you get a guy like that, and he's got a an ERA under two in about 15 innings now. Uh, he's added about five six innings since we last did the podcast last week. Uh, you get a guy like that who you know could potentially fill a hole for you and you know, that's big in that a you don't have to sign a new uh, free agent, but at the same time he's you know he's walking more better than he struck out. but you know that really kind of heavy sinker has been nice to see from him and you wonder if he can kind of carry that forward. you know this is a guy that they've viewed as a starter for a long time and now that he's in the bullpen, it seems like his stuff may be playing up just a little bit. I know he's had some injury concerns in the past, so it's tough to say whether he's really kind of letting loose with that fastball or not. But uh, looking at the numbers so far, his fastball still has pretty good movement, even at that 95, 96-mile-an-hour range. So it'll be really interesting to see how he progresses going forward.
0: It's hard for me to tell, I guess, when when they're experimenting with a guy like Drew Verhagen out of the bullpen right now, how much of that is them just dicking around because they can, because they're out of any, you know, meaningful race at this point, uh, versus, you know, how seriously they're taking that and and likely they are to continue that into next year. I'm with you. I'd like to see them keep him in the bullpen and and use that as an internal option. Uh, As far as Collins and Machado... Hold on on there. I want to
1: go back to Verhagen for a second. Um, With him, he had a stress fracture in his lower back. I believe it was last season. Hmm. And that kind of saw him finish the year. Because remember, this was a guy that they had called up before... You know, guys like Buck Farmer and everything to make a spot start last season. Um, And I think that they had announced pretty early on, I want to say it was like June-ish or so this season, that they were moving Verhagen to the bullpen. And I believe it was almost kind of more of a health-related type thing with him. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily the health with him or if, you know, this is kind of a move that he initiated in order to kind of expedite his path to the major leagues. Um, But, you know, it, it seems like this is something that is more permanent than the team just being out of the race and kind of messing around and wanting to see what he does out of the bullpen
0: yeah now that you mention it um he pitched in a spot start last year in june i want to say it was it was when they had to make up a game against cleveland i know because i had tickets to go to the original game that was mm-hmm. supposed to be like april 15th or whatever and that game ended up getting frozen out because the temps dropped to below freezing So I went to, uh, it was the afternoon game of of a doubleheader, and Verhagen made the spot start. He faced off against Kluber, and from from what I recall of that game, he matched Kluber pretty well for the first four, five, maybe six innings. It was was one of those games where nobody was hitting anything, and I was actually kind of impressed with what I saw in that first outing. I remember
1: that outing as well. Um, I know that Verhagen's changeup looked pretty good. And based on things I've read, I think that the changeup is kind of ahead of his breaking ball at this point as far as the secondary pitch goes. Uh, You know, see what he kind of develops from there. You know, most relievers are kind of two-pitch guys. But if he can still develop that third one, you know, that still bodes well for him going forward. And, you know, he's also the kind of guy that you, you know, will kind of fit your dream bullpen mode of a guy that can run, you know, a couple innings before having to, you know, hit
0: the showers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The the kind of guy you'd want to run out there and go ahead and let him pitch the 8th and the ninth, and he'd probably do fine with it and excel at it. Uh, That's a pipe dream. I realize that. It's never going to happen, so we just got to stop talking about it because it makes me irritated that baseball hasn't come to that yet. Um, Collins and Machado, I'm going to say, well, Machado's trade bait, I think. Collins might be making a strong enough case for himself that they go ahead and let him try, as the starting left fielder next year, maybe I, I don't know. If not, he's he's trade bait as well.
1: I would hope that Collins is not the starting left fielder next year, but I wouldn't mind seeing him as the fourth outfielder. You know, I mentioned in last week's podcast that Collins is the kind of guy who you know may or may not be able to field all three outfield positions. Um, you know, it's tough to say whether or not he would be passable in center field, but he can field both corners, and he's got a little bit of pop in his bat. Uh, you know that's kind of the guy you want to bring off the bench in in a, you know in a pinch hitting situation. If uh, there are tough to, it's tough to say you know who exactly he would pinch hit for at this point. But you know there are a lot of questions to be answered before we get to 2016. Uh, but that's kind of the guy that you want off the bench. You know a guy that you know you give him a start. Maybe he goes one for four with a two run homer. You know that's still a pretty good day for a guy like that. Uh, you know, he's got a decent eye at the plate. I know that his on-base on percentage in the minors has been pretty decent. So we'll see what happens with him. But I wouldn't mind seeing him as a 4th outer fielder next year. But, yeah, uh, Dixon Machado, it would be nice to see him kind of get on a little bit of a roll this month and uh, boost his trade stock for uh, the offseason because I don't see him lasting too long in this organization behind Jose Iglesias.
0: <laughs> no, it's tough when you got a guy like Iglesias blocking you at that spot. So. But that's, that's one of the concerns they have to think about in 2016. They do need to fill some other places, so you might need some trade bait if you're not going to spend at all those positions. Um, as far as Collins goes, though, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm with you in saying it'd be nice to see him go that route uh, and become kind of a platoon or a fourth outfielder. I just, honestly, I don't see the Tigers doing that. I, I If they're not going to give him the starting job there, I see them spending money to fill that with a more permanent spot and then Collins kind of becomes the odd man out but that's again baseless speculation but it's what we do here because you know we can Steve at oh good lord at Yvette's Gana that you know what that is that's Wang Steve backwards that's what that is so yeah find, uh. find Steve on Twitter <laughs> and give him crap for that Steve says, short list of replacements if, when, Osmus is fired. And we kind of already talked about that.
1: We talked about one guy. Another guy that I've seen kind of bandied about Twitter today is Rick Renteria. Hmm. Uh, he was the Cubs manager, I believe, for only a year right, in 2014 before they went out and got Joe Madden last year. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough to say whether or not he would be a great fit. You know, he, he had one year in Chicago. I think they maybe sucked a little bit less than they had the year before, but you know, he was kinda he was kind of a placeholder for them. And I think that he would still be managing this team this year, whether they'd be still this good or not, it's tough to say. Um but you know, when you got a guy like Joe Madden become available, you really kinda jump at that, so he kinda had the you know, he was the kind of the odd man out there. Um, it wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily be thrilled with the hire and I don't know if the Tigers would go for that. Um one thing I will say about Renteria is that if he is hired, that is definitely an Avila hire. Um, you know, I don't see Mike Illich making, you know, springing for a guy that has one year of experience under his belt. Um, so, if Renteria is the one hired, it's definitely Avila making that call.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could name some names and kind of speculate, but I, I kind of feel like that's not—it's not worth the time at this point. I really do think garden hire is the guy just from some of the stuff that's been floating around and and you know so called inside sources being quoted it was kind of funny that i shortly after kind of this stuff broke yesterday i so, i started to see some of the more major media outlets i think even Len, lynn henning uh, did a piece not too long ago uh you know being careful with the way he was saying it but but basically saying yeah garden hire makes sense he would be at the top of the list it's kind of all but saying yeah this is what's you know going to happen so it's I feel like it's kind of pointless for me to speculate. I would not be I will I will be surprised if they don't hire Garden Hire. That's just kind of the way I, I see it going. So sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but that's that's the way it is. Ron, who has one of the greatest Twitter handles ever. Ron's a follower of mine. Hi Ron, love you. You're great. He is at @fipmywhip. I wish I had that handle. Says uh, biggest off-season acquisition coming before next spring training. I want some strong predictions. Right. No more uh, this, I, no more dicking around with maybes and possiblies. It's you got to put it out there, Rod. I
1: will. I will do this. I will. dick around a little bit and make you go first.
0: <laughs> I hate you. All right, <clears throat> I am going to begin with the category of starting pitcher. I think that's the biggest acquisition they make as a starting pitcher. And my strong prediction, um, flip a coin here, David Price. Ooh, I, I that think, is strong. I think they're going to get David Price. And See, I think, go ahead. Just, uh, as long as I'm you know, making stupid speculations and, and just spouting hot takes the reason why i think they go and get price is because i think mike illich in that whole vein of hey i'm loyal to my good guys and i'll give you ridiculous contracts for being a good productive player i i think he liked what he saw out of david price i think he was sorry to see david price go um and I, i think that mike illich is wearing a green shirt right now so all of those opinions have the exact same weight and merit but that's that's my prediction
1: I will go in a similar direction. I think that they also are going to spring for a a starting pitcher. Uh, My prediction for that will be Jordan Zimmerman, guy from the Nationals. A couple of reasons for that. One, I think the Tigers are going to take advantage of the protected pick that they have. Uh, You know, if they sign Zimmerman, who's all but guaranteed to get a qualifying offer and decline that and have to cost a draft pick, um, you know, the Tigers will only have to forfeit their second-round pick for that. And with him, you know, he kind of fits more of, I think he kind of fits more of the metric mold type of pitcher. You know, he's not a huge strikeout guy, uh, but he really limits walks. He, uh, he's basically a better version of, he's what we wanted Rick Purcello to become, is I guess the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that the Tigers are going to probably weigh that pretty heavily. Uh, and it would be, you know, I think that they're not necessarily going to spend the 200 million on Price, but you know, maybe they spend 140, 150 million on Zimmerman, who is two or three yo- years younger than that. He's still only in his 20s, um, and so you're getting a few more of those prime years before he really starts to decline.
0: See, now I feel like you just made a whole lot of sense, and I just sounded like I was just stoned out of my mind. So that was the booze talking. All right. I'm still sticking with David Price. Now that I've put it out there I, I have to defend this until it happens. So I'm standing by it. Next question comes from ALD Land at ALD It Says, where do we send our applications for the Tigers manager job? And how many hot and ready's do we pin it to?
1: I'm trying to think of how many hot and readies I can actually carry by myself. Um, you know, I've never had to carry that many of it's only been like, you know, like two or three or so. But they're in a
0: they're in a square box. It's easy. Yeah,
1: no, and it's kind of well, it's kind of bulky at the same time, you know. And if you get several of them stacked on top of one another, I could see you kind of making the hand motion yeah, right now. To ten, yeah, at I don't least. know, 10, twelve. It, it almost becomes kind of like a feat of strength at this point. <laughs> uh, but you know, and, and the thing that I kind of think about it is here's my question, I guess, going for that is how quickly would you get fired if you were the Tigers' manager? Me personally. You personally, if you were the Tigers manager, how quickly would you get fired?
0: I'd like to think they would give me at least a full season. I mean... Oh. <laughs> I See, I, I was thinking like a couple months
1: for myself, maybe. <laughs> I I wasn't that, you know, faithful in myself. I, I would take the salary for a couple months. You know, sure. if, if Brad Osmus wants to quit now and let me handle the rest of the season, that whatever he's getting paid, that prorated amount of money, I would
0: gladly take that. I it would actually know probably be clamoring for him back, but at this time, <laughs> bring back Osmus. get this Jackie asshole out of here. No. no, I'm not above being bought. It's fine. That's fine. I it, realistically, they would probably fire me within the month, and the reason is, I like chaos. I love chaos. I, I think I would make some good strategical moves. I would put together a decent metrics oriented lineup. But the fact of the matter is when it came to the press conferences afterwards and you know they sat down and said, so what did you see out there tonight from uh, Al Albuquerque? I would just flat out say he sucked. He flat out sucked tonight. He's probably not going to pitch again for a couple of days. He's got some crap to work out. No, he's not doing his job. That's why we're pulling him. <laughs> he's, he's now a mop-up guy. I would be so blunt. The players would just absolutely hate me. It would be bad. See, Jim
1: Leland was known for eating what was it, potato salad yeah. or whatever it was Chicken
0: during his, and... his
1: press conferences. I think we would, you know, have a beer or two or you know some sort of drink at these press conferences, and <laughs> things would just go off the rails very, very quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I, I tend to speak my mind a little too freely, and when they when when the media members ask those just kind of big softball questions, I would be, I they would hate me. The players would hate me, and eventually management would say, okay, that's that's enough of that. So. Yeah, probably a month at best. Maybe not even two games after two press conferences. They'd say you're done. So here we go with the last question uh, from B hatch Books. At B Hatch Books. I, I liked this question just because it, it struck me as very sort of avant-garde. The question is, specifically, what happens for next year? Like that, with us? Or I mean, am I, I'd like to think I'm still going to be here. <laughs> That's why I love this question. Just I worked out last week. Did you? I i once. Once, okay. Well, specifically, what happens for next year? Sort of um, like what is and stuff. Baseball will happen. Okay. I think I'm not even sure what the question means. I, and it's it was just such a beautifully phrased question that I had to include it. And if, if you want me to just kind of go off on this, specifically, what happens for next year? Uh, as we've kind of discussed, I think the Tigers add a starting pitcher. I think they do some things with the bullpen. Some moves get made in the outfield. If you want my prediction for where the Tigers end up yet next year, I hate to throw piss water all over this parade, but I don't think they get the division next year either. I, I think they end up in second or third place. I think See, maybe... I
1: was I was just going to be a smartass and tell my life story.
0: No, oh, okay. <laughs> Specifically, what happens for next year? What happens with Rod next year? No, I... It's tough
1: to say, and I think we really kind of have to go through the offseason to see. Um, but, you know, I'll go the other way. I think they're going to bounce back. I, I have faith in Avila. Maybe, maybe they will bounce back next year and win the division.
0: Yeah, it's not that I don't have faith in Avila. I just know these things kind of take time. And so here's, here's your writing assignment and research assignment from next week is take, take all the teams in the last, I don't know, 10 years. That have experienced a first to worst drop, and in fact, Ron Gardenhire's twins did that not too long ago. They went from first place to last place, and see how long it takes those teams to get back to first. Because I don't think, in what I've seen so far, I don't think they do it year to like over a one year period. It's like they go first place, last place, and then the next year is like yeah, second, maybe third. Then they come back to you know to form. So yeah, hate to be the, the the wet blanket there, but I, I don't think they're going to win the division next year. I think we've still got a couple years before the, the resurgence, and it's going to be beautiful when it happens, but I just I don't think it's going to happen next year. Alright, that is what we have for the Into the Mob Scene at Home segment. When we get back, we will wrap up this show with our seventh inning Kvetch, and we're going to make a lot of loud noises about the MVP award, and that's when we get back from the break. Three now, here's the 2-2. Oh boy. Kerbong at the outside corner, Victor... Not happy. Pitch that he felt went around the plate.
1: You rarely see Victor complain. Red Ausmus better get out there quickly. Aww. And Victor got tossed.
0: Wow. And we're back with the seventh inning Kavetch. The big topic here in this sound off segment when we serve up our hot takes all buttered up and with syrup. Now mm, I'm hungry. How do you define an MVP, Rob? And the, the question, of course, is because what we're seeing, the discussion that's taking place over the last couple of days, um, Bryce Harper in the National League it was for a long time the front runner of that's that's going to be your MVP favorite. And suddenly in the last month or so with uh, UNS Cespedes going to the Mets and the Mets surpassing the Nationals, some people are actually talking about UN Cespedes as a, a candidate for the National League MVP, and that of course raises the questions of, well, then how do you judge an MVP? Is it is it by the numbers? Is it by, I don't know, feel? <laughs> I mean, the 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 conditions that these guys get graded on. Uh, the you know, when you look at the um, what is it, the official letter that gets sent out to the voters, you know, it talks about things like like loyalty. It talks about things like attitude and you know maybe leadership. that's that some very subjective qualities that go into determining who wins the MVP. Uh, another big complaint that we hear uh, from guys who are more metrics oriented is that uh, the MVP tends to be um, given to the guy whose team ends up getting to the playoffs because it's, it's not who's the best player in the league, it's actually who's the most valuable to his team. All these distinctions. Rob, how do, you, how do you go about defining an MVP?
1: I'm going to kind of take the cop-out answer and say it's kind of a blending of the two philosophies you have here. I think there's some value in you know having your team close to contention. You don't necessarily need to be in the playoffs. I think to be an MVP, but you know you go back to kind of the days when Mike Trout was in the debate with Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, and Trout's Angels teams were you know in last place, close to last place, uh, at least one of the years. You know they were they were a losing team. Um, you know, and even though he's putting up these incredible, insane numbers, it's tough to say that he's the most valuable player when the rest of his team is awful. You know, it's, you know, was he really, I, I don't know, it's, it's tough to kind of formulate that argument. Um, and in this case, with Suspidus, I think it's, you know, very difficult to consider him the National League MVP when he spent most of his time this season in the American League. Hmm. Uh, he played over a hundred games for the Tigers and has only played 139 games this season. Probably playing his 140th as we speak. Um, you know he's putting up very good numbers. He has 6.7 WAR, 6.7 wins above replacement this year, which is astounding for a guy that I don't even think cracked three right. before this season. Um, so you know, an incredible season in his own right. But you know, you've got 40 odd games against a guy like Bryce Harper, who's played in, you know, 130, 135 games for the Nationals, has WRC plus of two hundred and one and has been worth eight point six war this season, just putting up insane numbers. And I think that, you know, if I were at vote, he's far and away your national league MVP. Um, you know, it had Cespedes spent his entire season in the national league, I could see the debate. But at the same time, I, I just think it's tough to give the award to a guy who's only been with the Mets for 40 games.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't pretend to be an expert on uh, on the voting process or what the rules are, but it feels to me like if it's not already the case, there should be a rule in place that says a candidate for the award has to play X number of games, you know, in that league. Because otherwise, like you said, you could pick up a guy at the deadline like Cespedes. He just gets dropped into the, you know, into a playoff situation basically. Uh, a team that's already contending for the playoffs. Um, but he's he's not going to play in the National League for the whole season. And that just seems kind of, I don't know, a little bit, <laughs> it's sketchy. Uh, I But, you know, in terms of, I saw somebody on, on Twitter the other day kind of state very strongly. Um, I want to say the paraphrasing here. I'm looking forward to the day when a, an MVP will be judged on his own merits and not on what the 24 guys on his team around him did. And that kind of got me thinking along these lines of saying, yeah, usually the award does go to, you know, like you mentioned, Trout and Cabrera were, were neck and neck in 2013, but Cabrera got the edge, I think, because the Tigers actually went to the playoffs. And I'm not sure that that should be part of the process. You know, whether or not your um, team, like you said, what, they should be close, they should be in contention, they don't necessarily have to get to the playoffs. And I, I feel like that may be a an edge that, that shouldn't be there uh, for the players, on the other hand, I am going to disagree with what I saw quoted uh, from Jose Bautista some years back, like 2011-2012. He said, pitchers should not be considered for the MVP award because they have their own award. They have the Cy Young. MVP is for you know the position players. And I thought, no, I think that's a mistake. And I think that's where people get hung up, Rob. I think people treat the MVP as though it were effectively a position player equivalent to Cy Young and Cy Young is it's all about who's got the best stats period not how valuable are you to the team and were you you know a leader or anything. it's just stats based MVP award is not so is it time for Major League Baseball to introduce a new award that's really the the, the true Cy Young equivalent but for for a position player
1: I don't know if you need to do that um You know, it seems kind of, I I think that if you did that, it would make the MVP a little bit more ambiguous. And I think you would get the same guy taking home the same trophy twice or, you know, two different trophies, I guess you could say. Um, Because, you know, it's tough to say that, you know, a guy like Bryce Harper, who's hitting the cover off the ball and probably will, uh, you know, I hope would win the National League MVP award. You know, that he wouldn't win that same award for the position players as well. Uh, you know i think that the rare cases where a pitcher wins the mvp award i think they're justifiably rare and i think that that is a good reason why and i i don't necessarily know that there needs to be another award i think that you know that the pitcher winning that award even though they do face you know more batters per season than your average position player gets plate appearances i think that those you know those position players do have a larger impact on the every game hmm. uh and that's so that the the pitchers that you have winning these awards are guys that are putting up, you know, incredibly special seasons Justin Verlander Clayton Kershaw and the like.
0: Yeah, it's just interesting to me that there isn't really kind of an all-encompassing award for the position player. I mean, you've got the Cy Young for the pitchers uh and then you have these sort of individual awards like Gold Glove for, you know, superior defense, you've got Silver Slugger for the guys that can really hit. Um but there isn't really that that one award outside of the MVP that that you can say to a position player, this was the best position player in the league, all things considered, running and hitting and fielding and all of that stuff.
1: Well, I think part of that is just because of the kind of ambiguous definition of the MVP award. Yeah. Uh, You know, like you said, we don't have the actual language in front of us, but it basically is kind of just the shrug emoji Mm -hmm. as far as everything goes. You know, it's really up to voters' discretion. I think that's why you kind of see some of these weird... You know, these weird vote totals, Um, you know, I haven't been that awful in years past, although, you know, the Trout-Cabrera debate rages on, but, you know, it's, I I think that the precedent has been set with the MVP, and it would be tough to kind of implement a new award. I think if you were starting from scratch, if you had like a new sport, you could do, you know, your offense your pitching slash defense award type thing, and it would be okay but now it's just like, uh, I feel like with Voters in Place and the, the BBWA is kind of its own separate topic that we don't want to get into, right. but with with that, I think you would just get, you know, the same guy winning the award
0: twice. Yeah, I guess if, if that kind of an award did exist, that was more on par with the Cy Young, where it's, yeah, this is really a stats-based thing, and now we're, you know, actually going to look at weighted runs created and we're going to look at oh, god forbid rbis or whatever it is but it's more stats based because right now it's just it's funny to me that people are arguing over the stats and you go this, this is not scientific analysis guys it's just not it, it's right out there in plain language it's ambiguous it's you know all these subjective things that they get that uh, they get graded on you could have made a case for madison baumgartner last year you know, as as the MVP, oh, of course, I know they don't take the postseason into account, do they? Yeah, that's more postseason based. They, they well, uh,
1: uh, an example I'm thinking of, kind of off the top of my head, is the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know it's a little bit different. You know, just with the difference in between baseball and basketball, and how the sports are constructed. But with that, you have, I believe, you have a defensive player of the year, which you could kind of equate to your Cy Young. And there's no offensive player of the year, there's just an MVP. Hmm. Um, With that, usually the MVP kind of goes to kind of a player that's more offensively inclined, uh, but at the same time, they don't necessarily have that same defense versus office distinction and then an MVP on top of that.
0: It's it's an ongoing discussion, I guess, and like I said, I, I wish there was a more stats-based kind of award for the position players, but there's not, and so in the meantime, I kind of feel like, you know, it's it's not even worth arguing about who should or shouldn't get the MVP, because those the things they are being judged on are, are so subjective. You can put some numbers in there, but then to me, it's like, why are we even arguing over which numbers? You know, should it be RBIs, or should it be weighted runs created? Should it be ERA or FIP? You know, it's like, <laughs> really, they're, they're literally looking at things like loyalty. <laughs> How can you How can you turn that into a scientific analysis? It just kind of seems silly to me. But the other interesting part of this, though, in talking about Cespedes and uh, the fact that he's getting a little bit of love in the MVP discussion right now is the fact that the news came out just recently. He has waived the clause in his contract. Uh, He had the clause in his contract that I want to say, whichever team uh, he was playing for at the time the season ended, they had basically like five days or something to... Negotiate with him, uh, you know, for the for the next year in free agency, and if, if they didn't, then they that team couldn't negotiate with him. I think is the way that worked. Um, regardless, he's he's dropped that clause entirely. It does not require the Mets to release him after that period of time. It gives the Mets more time to negotiate with him. That's an interesting move, because for a guy who said, "I want to come back to Detroit. I love Detroit." Yeah, I mean, I know we read different things into that he also says he loves new york um does that i don't know how how does that look for his chances coming back to the tigers
1: i think it definitely lowers his chances of coming back to the tigers but at the same time it's not that groundbreaking of a move for him Mm -hmm. Uh, i believe that the that clause was written into his contract early on so that he wouldn't be extended a qualifying offer Right. After he became a free agent and have a draft pick tied to his name, seems like the guy whoever was negotiating for him kind of had the foresight that you know this qualifying offer thing wouldn't necessarily work out. Um, you know, we've seen that thing kind of we've seen the qualifying offer kind of penalize guys. You know, Stephen Drew and Kendrick Morales last season are the big ones that come to mind of guys that have kind of been hurt by this clause. Um, but now that Susspeus was traded midseason, he wouldn't have been able to be extended to qualifying offer anyway. So, you know, the cause really just, I mean, if anything, it only adds one more buyer to the pool right. that he doesn't necessarily have to negotiate with the Mets right away. He can kind of wait and feel their offer compared to everyone else's. Uh, it gives the Mets a little bit more time to bid for him. It, you know, it basically just adds one more shark to the, uh, you know, pond is, I guess, a bad example there. But, you know, there's one more team bidding for his services now. And I guess that uh, probably would only drive up his
0: price. Uh, the, the whole issue of him and his involvement with Detroit is, is a real head-scratcher for me because I, I want to say, if my history is, is correct, back when he was initially signed by Oakland, I want to say Detroit was kind of involved uh, in the bidding process. They were very interested in at that time and ended up uh, not being able to spend the money, I think maybe because of the Fielder contract or something I al- I along those lines. believe Fielder was signed just before Cespedes was, and whether or not that had an impact,
1: we don't know. Yeah. But kind of, you know, two and two kind of suggests that sure. maybe they don't necessarily have that. Uh, the,
0: the point is that the Tigers had interest. And mm-hmm. enough so that they made it a point to go out and get him, uh, you know, last year, um, last offseason, I, I meant to say. So th- there does seem to be some, you know, some ongoing interest. And I'm, I would not be at all surprised to find that that's alavilla you know, that is kind of behind that, that has the interest. So that, to me, says, I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of. It's that pipe dream again. I like Cespedes. I would love to see him come back to Detroit. I would like to see Detroit get involved in some way and try to, you know, extend him something. Get involved in that bidding process in the in the twenty fifteen sixteen off season. I uh, just don't know if that's actually going to happen. I said it last time. I don't think it happens. Okay, just dash, dash all my hopes and dreams, Rob. That's great. We both can be weep links sometimes. <laughs> I know. You know what? On that note, this this is probably a really good time to put away the booze and wind down the podcast because, you know what, these drunk texts aren't going to send themselves. So, Rob, what is the final word? That's it. I got to go get food. I'm hungry. <laughs> there it is. You remember back in the days, uh, our listeners will recall back when Kurt Menching used to end every podcast with I got to pee. So it's nice to hear that kind of basic human nature. I got to go eat. Screw it. So, all right. We want to thank you for riding along on another Voice of the Turtle podcast. If you want to throw in your two cents on anything we've talked about here, go ahead and leave your comments on the podcast post at the site. You can contact us on Twitter, again, at HookslideBYB, at byb Rob, or at BlessYouBoys. And we are also on email at bybtigers at gmail.com. So on behalf of guys everywhere who already know they're going to get fired and are just waiting for that shoe to drop, This is hook slide saying we will see you on the next episode of the voice of the turtle. Where are you sitting and why are there hearts on the wall? This is my daughter's room. Ah. My almost 13 year old daughter. Over to that wall is a Twilight poster. Not even going to lie. Well, good thing you went with the hearts. Yeah. <laughs>